the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I'm back live. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, church questions, stuff going on in your life questions, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, where you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And if you're in your car, the safest way to call, uh, especially on these wet streets today, is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the call now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, I want to thank Pastor Ken uh, and May for filling in for me and for Paula last week. Uh, They did a great job. We got to listen to a couple of days of the show while we were out of town. Uh, We were in Florida. It was our first time ever in Florida. We really liked it there. Uh, Weather was great. The people were great. We went there for a a funeral, which wasn't great, but uh, everything else was wonderful. I met some wonderful people at Calvary Chapel in Melbourne, uh, Florida. Um, So it was was a good time. Paul and I got a little bit of rest, and then all that rest was sort of undone on the flight home because it got a little bit hectic. But uh, thank you for... um, tuning in last week. And again, Pastor Ken, thank you so much for sharing your heart. Hey, we got stuff going on here tonight at Calvary Chapel. It's Monday. That means uh, the men's, the women's, and the youth Bible studies are all tonight at 7 o'clock. Ladies, you can watch live stream at calvarysa.com. But it's always better if you're here. May Crisado is actually going to be teaching tonight. Uh, Pastor Ken will be teaching the men. And then, of course, our youth pastors will be teaching the junior high and the high schoolers at the same time. Hope you had a great time at church yesterday. We had so many people here. It was wonderful. Um, But um, neat stuff. The month of April is just about over. And uh, all that's left really now is... uh, just waiting to see what the God, the Lord is going to do in in May. Before I get to questions, let me also ask for your prayers. In May, it is by far our busiest month here at the church. I just would appreciate your prayers. Uh, the kids will be closing the school year. Uh, we'll be saying goodbye to our graduating seniors. And there's just lots of banquets and award ceremonies and those kind of things that are going on. Keep me in prayer. I'm getting old, too old for some of this. Okay, let's get to questions that have been sent in, and then we'll see sort of what's going on. This is from Richard from our email inbox. Nope, I'll hold Richard for a moment because we got somebody on the phone, uh, so we'll wait. Matthew in Cibolo on line one. Matthew, thank you for calling. You're on the air. 
Hey, Pastor Ron. I hope you're having a great day in this uh, weather. Um, I was, I was, uh, <laughs> my wife and I were, we were so filled yesterday. We we're coming out of church and we were talking about this all day. But I was telling her, you know, we both um, had this great understanding now, a better understanding of now with, uh, you know, crumbs of grace. And I know you kind of articulate mm-hmm. that. I was going to ask you, do you think just, you know, um, it was such a great exhortation, you know, and, but if you can just elaborate more on that crumbs of grace, it's just it's been sticking out to me all day today, and we were praying about that. Lord, we just want your crumbs of grace, Lord, and and uh, it was so wonderful. So thank you, and I'll get off oh. there. Thank you, Matthew. You're too kind. I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, my study yesterday was in Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 7. We close out the chapter. It was really the story of two miracles. But the the unique thing about these miracles is that they weren't done for Jews. They were done for Gentiles. And the the the, the reference to the crumbs of grace uh, that Matthew was speaking about was the story of the Syrophoenician woman uh, who wanted Jesus to deliver her daughter from uh, being demon-possessed. An evil spirit had controlled her and made their lives unbearable. And at first she tried to approach Jesus, this Gentile, like a Jew would. She was following Jesus, crying out, Son of David, Jesus, Son of David, help me, help me. And Jesus absolutely ignored her. She kept following, and she'd get louder, and Jesus just ignored her. And finally his disciples um, went to him and said, well, well, you need to send her away. If you're going to ignore her, you need to send her away. Basically she was bugging them. And uh, uh, finally he turned to her and um, she let her request be known. My daughter has an evil spirit. You can do this. But she called him Lord the next time. You see, as she was trying to approach him as the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of Israel, she had no basis to make that approach to Jesus. And uh, Jesus was ignoring her, not to be rude, He was ignoring her to draw from her um, um, uh, the faith necessary for her to be able to approach him. And so uh, basically what he said was, and I'm reading between the lines, is, look, I'm not your Christ. I'm not your Messiah. It's not right for me to give the children's food to the dogs under the table. Now, the reference there is specific Gentiles were considered dogs. I said yesterday in the message, wherever you see she was a Greek or she was a Gentile, um, think Texan. She was a Texan. And uh, she was approaching Jesus on the wrong basis. Um, he, he let her know, no, I've come for the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And, and it's not right for me to give their food. They're the children to Gentiles, to Texans. And then she looked at him and she said, but yes, Lord. And there she used a different word altogether. It was kurios in the Greek. And it's a word that means I know who you are and you're, and I'm going to culturalize this, you're the boss of me. I surrender everything to you. And then Jesus would have smiled. And then he granted a request. And she said to him, but, but even the dogs take the crumbs that fall from the table. And she was acknowledging by faith, and that's the way we can approach Jesus, by faith. She was acknowledging that those crumbs are enough for me. And Jesus gave her a crumb. You know, in the Old Testament, in, in, in the Jewish part of Jesus' ministry, um, mercy's talked about a lot. But for those of us who live on this side of the cross, um, we talk about grace. And I mentioned in the study yesterday that the, the, the crumbs of mercy were wonderful. But the crumb of grace was like this boulder forgiving us and washing us anew and giving us access to the kingdom of God. So uh, she taught us that, that, that we can make our request known to God. The writer of Hebrews says that. We can do it with confidence. But we have to make the right approach. And I tried to make a lot out of that. In the Bible study yesterday, all three services, I just wanted people to be sure that if you're asking God for something, you've got to come to him on his terms. You've got to make the right approach. Our access is through Jesus Christ. But we need to examine our, our hearts, our motives. And Matthew, for you and anybody else, 
who listen to that Bible study, uh, the important thing is always our motive. Why do we come? Yesterday I said something in our Bible study um, that the Lord had spoken in my heart, uh, made it really clear. In fact, when I was praying, I read the passage of Scripture and I was praying um, just for the Bible study. And I kind of stopped for a moment because the Lord was speaking in my heart. And he said, uh, there's power to heal here today. And he was talking about healing physically. And I let the church know that in all three services. There was power to heal here yesterday. But we've got to come on his terms. So here's what I'm asking our church, what I asked our church to do. If they need to be physically healed, we're not going to make a show of it. We're going to do like Jesus did in the story. He brought people aside. But will you use the strength he gives you? If he, if he heals your body from whatever it is you're asking for help with, if he heals your body, will you allow him then to use the strength that he gives you for his glory alone? Can you say, okay, Jesus, no more excuses. I'll follow you wholeheartedly. And no doubt some people got healed yesterday and um, uh, we didn't make a show of it. Jesus didn't make a show of healing people, at least in the context of yesterday's study. And it was a decision every single individual in that room had to make. So, Matthew, that's what I was talking about yesterday, and I, I enjoyed that study. I um, There are some studies that are really fun, and you said it was an exhortation, and I really felt like it was. Thank you for that. Here's the question from Richard from our email inbox. He says, what was the original intention for this earth when God created it? Did God know that Adam and Eve were going to fall from grace? And was the intention of God to allow Satan to rule the earth regardless of the outcome of Adam and Eve's fall from grace? Richard, these are hard questions because I think they're formed from a misunderstanding about God's character and his nature. Now, we know that God knows everything. So, yes, God knew that Adam and Eve were going to fall from grace, but God had a plan for that. Based on his foreknowledge, he knew that when Adam and Eve fell, he had a plan that would allow others to come to him. And, of course, we know that plan was was God becoming a man. Jesus came to this earth, and he died as a perfect, righteous man. He died for the sins of those of us who aren't perfect and righteous. So, of course, God knew that they were going to fall from grace. When you get questions like, well, well, did God know, or why did God make him if he knew they were going to fall God makes people, people, the best thing he ever made, Ephesians 2.10 says. And, and yet, the human still has to make the choice. So, uh, yeah, Adam and Eve, God knew that they were going to fall from grace. The original intention for the earth was to bring pleasure and provide uh, shelter for for humans. Uh, that's, that's all. That was the original intention. Uh, and yet man, not God, man is the one who ruined that intention. So um, it, it was never God's intent to allow Satan to rule the earth as the little, I call it the little g-god of this earth. Paul calls him the prince of the air. Um, but God also knew that was going to happen. Now here's the thing that you need to remember, Richard, is God didn't make any of this stuff happen short of the the the, the original creation. God gave humans choices. In the past, he gave angels choices. But he didn't force them. He didn't cause them to make the choice they made. And yet, even though God knew it was going to happen and had a plan for it happening, um, his intent for creating mankind was to walk in the cool of the garden with him in perfect, unbroken fellowship. And the beauty about God, the wonder of our God, is that when man fell, God's plan didn't change. You know, we humans, if somebody disappoints us or somebody betrays us, we get all mad, our feelings get hurt. God didn't. God said, I still love you. And I love you so much, I'm going to send my son, my only son, that whosoever believes would not perish, but have everlasting life. So, Richard, you're thinking a little bit too... In a linear fashion, you need to, to think about this. God, what God knows is going to happen. He doesn't cause to happen. 
Now, he's sovereign over those things, and, and, and the choices that mankind makes don't change God's plans. But God doesn't cause things to happen. And so when we look at the condition of this earth that we uh, are, are here, um, God intended for us to enjoy it. Um, when, we, we, uh, when we blow it, um, God's not caught off guard. You know, Richard, again, in yesterday's Bible study here at Calvary Chapel, Jesus was uh, going to heal a man who was deaf and mute. And it says that he thrust his fingers into the man's ears and unstopped his ears. And then he touched his tongue and loosened his tongue. Um, but just before that, Jesus sighed. Can you imagine the deep sigh? Just a, well, the sigh in that particular case was his um, response to a world that was so unlike the one he created. He wanted so much more for us. And this was a sigh, not of relief. This was a sigh of, oh, I wish the world wasn't like this. But in that sigh, he fixed what was wrong. And the reason that matters so much to us is because God is still sighing over the condition of the world that we live in. And we we look at this world sometimes as Christians and we just think, oh, it's lost, all is lost, the devil's winning. No, Jesus is sighing. And he's waiting for that moment when he sets everything right again. So, Richard, God doesn't cause what he knows And what he knows doesn't change the things that are happening. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Kirby. Uh, She says, I really don't get the meaning of Proverbs 21.14. I know the heart of the Lord is not for us to do things in secret or to bribe one's way into getting what we want. Verse 2 makes that clear. So what intent does verse 14 Uh, have or imply for us to do. Now, let me read the verses. Um, Verse 21.14, Proverbs 21.14 says, A gift given in secret soothes anger, and a bribe concealed in the cloak pacifies great wrath. Now, the idea here is is important. Um, Proverbs 21.14 uh, where it says, a gift in secret pacifies anger. This is among the Proverbs that speak to the effectiveness of a gift or a bribe. Now, obviously, that was true. Um, it, it's true today, uh, but it was really true in Jesus' day and, and, and before that in the Old Testament. And and bribes were the way business was done. Um, the, the secret nature of the gift shows that it's not a proper and yet it may work to calm the anger in a leader. So it was just a way of buying favor. And uh, this isn't commending those gifts. It's simply indicating that these things are not uh, to be done in secret. Um, they're, they're to be done for the benefit of the people. And remember, this is a general principle. Uh, in Proverbs, we don't make doctrine out of it. It's a poetic book. And these are just general principles, and they're given many times as this one is without commendation. So the fact of the matter is, sometimes a gift or a bribe will turn the anger of the leader, the ruler, away from you. But he's not saying that that's a good thing. He's just saying it's a thing. That's all. So Kirby, I hope that helps. I hope that makes sense to you. Um, three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. I've got another question that is just coming in. Hold on. This is a question from our mobile app anonymously. Should Christians watch R-rated movies? Uh, anonymous, I have that question. I was going to answer, answer it next, and you sent it in again. I'm sorry. Sometimes, especially with me being out of town, some of these questions sit around for a week or more. And that was the case here. And uh, his or her question from our mobile app, should Christians watch R-rated movies? Um, Anonymous, I do not watch R-rated movies. Um, And uh, it's not that I'm a prude, um, but I don't watch R-rated movies 
because as a pastor, I don't want to cause anyone to stumble. You know, Paul and I used to laugh. You know, the minute I decide there's an R-rated movie that I want to see, I'll go in and I'll run into somebody from our church coming into the movie theater or going out of the movie theater. And you know what? I just have decided that for the sake of my calling, uh, R-rated movies aren't necessary. Uh, I would rather be um, viewed as somebody who has that standard than cause somebody in my church who might be struggling with watching an R-rated movie. Uh, I don't want to cause them to stumble. So for me, it's not really a sacrifice at all. Now, let me say this, because I think sometimes people get the wrong idea. Uh, I'm not on some spiritual high horse here. Uh, I love movies. Uh, I, I I bemoan the fact that we don't get to watch movies uh, very much anymore. Paul and I, we can't go to movies um, um, I don't go to R-rated movies, and, and I don't watch movies that take God's name in vain. And, and um, you know, sometimes people perceive that as pressure for me to monitor their holiness. Anonymous, this is a question that every single believer, every single one, has to make between them and God. Romans 14.23 says that if anything is not of faith, it's sin. And from my perspective, um, I can't in good faith go. And so the result then is I just choose not to go. It's a sacrifice that I make that, as I said a moment ago, really isn't a sacrifice at all. But I would never impose that standard on somebody else. I just wouldn't do that. That's not, I'm not the Holy Spirit police for people. Uh, and I try when I talk about things like this that I don't do, I try to be sure that the people in my church really understand that I'm not saying if you do it, it's wrong. Uh, that's between you and the Lord. Now, having just asked the question, Anonymous, it would seem to me like the Holy Spirit is is trying to speak to your heart about the inadvisability of going to R-rated movies. Again, that's between you and the Lord. But sometimes when we start asking these questions, it's because we're sitting down watching something and the Holy Spirit saying, are you sure this is good for you? Now, I'm not sure R-rated movies are good for anybody, but they're R-rated for different reasons. Now, I certainly don't think that a Christian ought to watch movies that are are uh, purient or um, um, tentilating. I, I, I don't think that we ought to do that. I think we need to protect our walk personally with the Lord better than that. Um, but for me, it was just a matter of, of uh, I don't want to have to explain to somebody in my church why Pastor Ron is in an R-rated movie. So I don't do that. Uh, I don't watch, Paul and I don't watch movies at home uh, if they take God's name in vain. Uh, we just don't do it. Uh, um, so so that to us is the bigger disqualification than the rating. Uh, the rating, I just made a decision a long time ago that I wasn't going to watch uh, R-rated movies um, for the reasons that I stated. I just don't want uh, somebody to stumble. They see me coming out of a movie uh, that's R-rated. I can just always see, I told Paula one time, I said, I just see there's a husband and a wife, and the husband wants to go to this R-rated movie, and the wife is saying, well, I don't think we should go. And then they're going to the movie, and they run into me, and, they, and the husband looks, see, Pastor Ron says it's okay. I don't want to do that. Those are individual decisions that need to be made once and for all, just between you and the Lord. Thank you for the question, Anonymous. I, you were at the top of my list for next, so now I don't really need to um, answer it again. We're running to the end of the program. We're in the first half of the program. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I got time for one more. I think. Um, Myra says, "Are we born sinners or do we learn to sin?" Myra, I don't know how old you are. I don't know if you are of childbearing age and had kids. But if you have kids, you know that we're born sinners. <laughs> you you don't have to teach kids to lie. You have to teach kids to learn the word mine. They fight and they hit. They're selfish. They don't want to share their toys. They don't want to share their food. We are born with a sin nature. Surely I was sinful when I was conceived in the womb, David says. Sinful from birth. And that's exactly who we are. 
So we don't have to learn to sin. It comes naturally to us. And we can thank our federal head, our forefather Adam, for that because we inherited his sin nature. Incidentally, Myra, that's why the Holy Spirit uh, had to come upon Mary. If a human was the father of Jesus through Mary, then Jesus himself would have inherited that uh, sin nature. And if that was the case, if Jesus had a sin nature, then he wouldn't have been able to qualify as our Savior. So we are born sinners. We do it. We like it. We become really good at it. We lie. We cheat. We steal. Because that's who we are. In our flesh is no good thing, Paul writes. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's in the continuous present tense, which just means we're doing all of those things continually. So we don't need to learn to sin. We do it because that's who we are. Thank God, Myra, for Jesus, because he rescued us from us. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show. Please be careful out on the streets. I understand the worst of the weather has gone by, but it was really lightning and thundering and raining hard here. So just be careful on the wet streets out there. Hey, before I move on to another question, um, I was just thinking as we were flying back or flying this this past week to Florida and back, uh, I was, I was, you know, they've got the in-flight movies. It's our first time on Delta Airlines. And um, uh, they, they had the movies in the seat ahead of you. And so I was watching a movie, uh, 42, the movie about Jackie Robinson. I guess it's a few years old now. Uh, and it was not rated R. It was okay. And so I'm watching it. And, you know, flights can be an hour and then the next was two hours. And I didn't really have time to finish the movie. So I thought on the way back, I'm going to be able to finish the movie. And so we got on the plane to finish the, the movie uh, coming back from Atlanta to uh, to San Antonio. And I was maybe... 10 minutes into the part of the movie so I could finish it, probably an hour and 20 minutes or so left in the movie. And they took God's name in vain. And so I'm sitting here thinking, right, why did they have to do that? And even in the, an airplane with headphones so that I'm not bothering anybody, I just couldn't watch the end of that movie. Now, I know Jackie Robinson's history. I was a huge, huge, huge Dodger fan growing up. Uh, but but it was just a wonderful movie, and they ruined it. And while I'm not trying to govern anybody else's behavior, for me, for the life of me, um, how somebody can watch a movie when God's name is taken in vain like that uh, is beyond me. It just hurts to the to my core. And so I had to try to find something else to watch, and there was nothing worth watching on. But... Um, uh, that's just that's just where my heart is coming from on the movie thing. Here is a question that comes from Mickey. He says, I've heard that you don't need to go to a church because you are the church. Does that mean that being part of a church is unnecessary? Mickey, if you're part of a church and you don't go to church, it's like you're not home. It's like you're in a place where you don't belong. It's, it's sort of like, you know, Jesus said demons don't like to be disembodied. There's some sort of discomfort when they're just kind of floating around out in the atmosphere. They need to be home. Well, Christians need to be home, too. And, Mickey, this, and, and again, I know you're, you're, you're repeating something somebody else said to you, so this is intended for you personally. But, but it is nothing short of spiritual laziness not to go to church. And a lot of Christians, obviously, we picked up the habit during COVID of staying home, um, not going to church, not using our gifts to serve. 
And people say, but I watch online all the time, but you're being spiritually lazy. Hebrews 10.25 says that do not forsake the assembling together of the saints. And the context there is in the local assembly. It's not just, well, I can be in fellowship with somebody, two or more gathered Jesus. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being in the local assembly. If you look at the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, Jesus writes seven letters to churches. And he says uh, in the first chapter that, that he's in the middle of those churches. And so the question, Mickey, that 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 you would respond uh, with to, to somebody who would say that is say, well, why wouldn't you want to be where Jesus is? Jesus is here every Sunday. Unfortunately, so is the devil, but but Jesus is stronger. Why wouldn't you want to be in church? Church is the place you serve. Now, here's, I think, the real problem, Mickey. We have a view of church in the West that says, well, I go to church to get my needs met. And so we, we view church more like a consumer than a participant, and we often become spectators. The reason we go to church is to use the gifts that God has given us to be a source of encouragement or exhortation or to serve other people in the body. We don't go to get blessed. We go to be a blessing. And then when we are blessing others, then, of course, we get blessed because that's who God is. But we need to be there. And we pastors who have been just a little too passive, I think, with the, those who are slowly coming back um, or, or, or have fallen out of the habit. Uh, I, I, we've got people that still send money to us, people that we haven't seen for almost two years because of COVID. And yet they're still a part of the body. They're still sending money. They're watching all the time. But they're the ones who are getting ripped off. And by the way, we're getting ripped off too. We need them just like they need us. And that's when the body works together. So being a part of a local church is absolutely vital, not just necessary. It's vital to a healthy, vibrant walk with the Lord. Remember what David said, I will not give that to the Lord which costs nothing. And the idea there is going to church ought to cost us something. We're going there to serve others. We're going there to be a blessing to others. We're going there to pray for others. We're going there to to to, to ask the Lord, okay, Lord, show me some divine appointments. Who needs to be encouraged? Uh, who can I bless today, Lord? And that's exactly what he'll do. And that's when the Spirit falls upon us and then works through us. And it's at that point, Mickey, where we're getting the real value of church. And too many of us in our church culture, we've got this idea uh, that makes no sense. We get this idea that that uh, I, I'm, I'm sacrificing just going to church. No, no, no. This isn't a spectator sport. We are involved in the body. We come here to be equipped to do the work of ministry. And God's house is the place where all of that begins. So, Mickey, thank you for that. By the way, let me also say thank you to Robert and his beautiful wife. Uh, they they visited us yesterday in church, drove a long way to come, and it was really nice to meet you. They're listeners to this program, and it was really, really nice to meet you. Uh, one of the really neat things that's happening here at Calvary Chapel is we have tons and tons of new people coming every Sunday, uh, just tons and tons of new people, and that's a really, really good thing. Caesar asks the question, if someone backslides, can they come back to Jesus? Now, clearly you are referring to Hebrews, where it says that uh, it's impossible for those uh, who have once been enlightened, who've tasted the the Spirit of God, uh, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance again. That's to misunderstand Caesar. Of course, repentance is what we must do. If we backslide, I hate that word, by the way, Caesar, you know, people use that word like it's a polite word for sin. Um, we're walking away from Jesus. We're sinning. And yet that's what First John 1, 9 is all about. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So, of course, if we mess up, we can return to Jesus but we do that through confession. That just means not just stating what we did. Okay, I shouldn't have done that. But changing. 
agreeing with God that what we did is wrong, and then repentance is more than just being sorry or crying or feeling guilty. Repentance is a turn in the opposite direction, and it means that we're not going to do the old things that we used to do. And Jesus' arms, Caesar, are open wide for anyone who will come to him. I will in no wise cast out any who come to me. He also says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So the whole idea is we need to come back to Jesus in repentance, and then we can come back to him in the purity of Christian fellowship. Good question, Caesar. Thank you very much. Reggie asks, can demons physically hurt Christians? Um, Reggie, they can, but here's the good news. They, They can do that only with permission from God. Now, we've got two examples where demons physically attack people in the Bible. That's our, our, our standard of measure. If something is possible, we've got to be able to find it in the scriptures. And of course, we all know the story of Job, poor Job, um, um, for reasons that we will never figure out until we get to heaven. God allowed Satan to attack him physically, to attack his family. Um, um, these are the things we don't question God. Just, okay, Lord, just don't let my name come up in your conversations with, with the devil. Uh, but but Satan had to have permission, and limits were given to the damage he could cause. The same thing is also true in the New Testament of the Apostle Paul. He said a messenger from Satan was permitted to buffet him in the flesh, and the incident in Second Corinthians 12, where it's his thorn in the flesh, uh, Paul had this unbelievably difficult and painful physical affliction. We don't know what it is. There's a lot of speculation about it, but we don't know what it is. And, and Paul said that God had a purpose for allowing that, and it's to prevent Paul from becoming conceited because of the surpassingly great revelations given to him. So Paul would ultimately come to the understanding that he needed that affliction. And because it was a messenger from Satan, uh, it had God's blessing uh, to, to, to occur. Now, I'm going to do some personal experience here, Reggie, to finish answering this question. Uh, I believe Satan is, is, is powerful enough to create or recreate feelings of pain, sensations of pain. Uh, we know Satan can plant thoughts in our mind. He can't read our mind, but we know that he can plant thoughts. We know that he's active in trying to stop us from doing uh, the work that God wants us to do. And I'll just give you one example, but I have many examples over my years. Um, 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 I, I used to suffer horribly from migraine headaches. I, we determined, we were lucky, uh, we determined they were... Um, as a result of food allergies, uh, preservatives and things, MSG and, and some others. Uh, and, and so I had these really, really bad migraines from time to time. And I remember there was a time when I was going to be serving God in a very public way. Um, I expected a big crowd of people, and we got it. Uh, but um, just a couple of hours before the event, uh, I was stricken with this unbelievably bad headache. And um, um, I just thought, well, well you know, Lord, I, I, it's going to be hard for me, but I'm going to serve anyway. Just I'm going to have you have to strengthen me, Lord, because I'm going to serve. And as soon as I made that commitment, I did it out loud. The pain instantly went away. Now, my conclusion, Reggie, is simply this. I think Satan has the ability to recreate pain. It's not real pain. He can't touch your body. He can't cause physical harm without God's permission. And I think this was simply a test that God permitted, or I just think it was Satan trying to, to put me on the on the bench uh, because he didn't want me serving. But the point is, the moment I purpose in my heart, hey, look, Lord, you know I'm going to do this anyway, so I need your help. And I I was out taking a little walk with the Lord when I was praying that with my head exploding. And it, it, the relief, Reggie, was instant, absolutely instant. So I hope that answers your question. Again, we don't have to worry about the, the enemy. He can't do anything without God's permission, and God gives him limitations of what he can and can't do. We would prefer that God just said, nope, stay away from us, but, but God doesn't do that. Sometimes we need those tests. Let's go to our friend in San Leandro, California, Tanya, on line one. It is good to hear from you. How are you doing? 
Hi, Papa. I'm doing good. How are you guys? I- I'm doing well, thank you. We're we're well. I love I love the message on Sunday. You know, I log in every Sunday to to watch the message because even though I'm not physically in Texas, I- I'm still I still <laughs> consider myself a member of your church. <laughs> That's my home. Thank and, That's my and home. you know we 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 could fix that. All you got to do is come back. I know we we got we had to work on we got to keep praying and working on Carl's heart yeah. there. But no, we're yeah. excited to see you guys on vacation, and we're just we're super excited, super, super, super. Good. But I have a couple questions for you. So kind of two are kind of total opposites, and you can take any one you want first. But um, okay, what is what is the biblical um, about about sabbaticals? You know, when when a pastor takes a sabbatical, um, I don't know if that's you know. What does the Bible say about that? And I mean, I'm talking like months off, you know, all summer to have a sabbatical. Mm. And then secondly, Papa, what do you, um, I have somebody in my life who has um, a diagnosed uh, mental illness and and um, just a really rough, rough, rough upbringing. And um, and so there's a whole lot of things going on with that. And, and I have shared the gospel and, you know, she says she's saved. And then unfortunately, because um, she won't take any type of um, you know, get any help. Biblical, good Christian counseling. She won't. She won't do that. Sometimes she kind of um, just goes off, you know, off the rails a little bit, and then she starts saying really blasphemous things. And I don't even know. You know, I'm just trying to figure out. Of course, I pray for her. I'm there when she needs me, but also at, at certain times, it's like you you need not say these things. These are pretty much blasphemous things. And then I tell myself, mm-hmm. well, you know, she's mentally ill. Um, and so I have encouraged her to go to church. I've encouraged her to, uh, you know, speak to a pastor. I gave her uh, Lou Neely, you know, that uh, Warehouse Christian Ministries up there. I'm like, it's a great church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just curious to see, at what point do you kind of just say, because I feel like the Holy Spirit's like, you've done enough. You know, you just keep praying. Yep. You can you can answer these these calls. But it seems like when I do... There's like this, um, you know, downward spiral eventually when she has her her outbreaks. So I was just kind of curious, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I, I've done a lot, but I don't want to feel like she's been abandoned either. And so just really yeah. looking for some assistance when you deal with somebody who has a, a, a real diagnosed uh, mental illness. Um, and I've, I've known her for probably 12 years. So it's just yeah. wanted to get your insights on that, Papa. Thank you, Tanya. I can do that. God bless you. And I'll be praying for your friend. A, a couple of things. And let me deal with that second part first, because it's the most serious. Um, when people stop listening, when they, when they won't take your counsel, um, that's when we stop talking. Um, when, when they won't help themselves, we can't do it for them. And and the check that you're receiving in your spirit, Tanya, is the Holy Spirit saying, look, you've, you've told her everything you need to tell her, and she refuses to do what she needs to do, and now it's out of your hands. Now, I think to, to deal with the, the the issue of her feeling abandoned, I, I think you, you up front, you tell her. Um, uh, I've done this in counseling many times. Uh, I would ask somebody, why are you here? Well, we're here to get some help, and I will say, but you've never done anything I've told you to do. So why are you here? Well, we thought you might be able to help us. No, you wanted me to give you attention. That's not the case. Now, in the case of mental illness, um, you know, Christians have a, a, a responsibility to God to do whatever they need to do to be effective in their witness for Jesus Christ. If that means we take medication, uh, um, uh, bipolar conditions, uh, um, uh, psychotic conditions that can be controlled by medication. It is a Christian's responsibility to do whatever we have to do that is legal, whatever we have to do in order to be functional as a Christian protecting our Christian witness. And we have had a lot of people over the years, Tanya, who uh, were especially bipolar people uh, and they have these these huge mood swings up and down 
and they won't take their medication because, frankly, it feels better in those up cycles. When they're speeding, it feels better, and, and they don't like the feeling of, of being medicated. And, and yet, when they're in those upswings, when they're having those episodes, uh, they're destroying their witness for the Lord, and that's what you seem to have described here. So I think what you do is you find a good time, and you sit down with this person, and you say very bluntly, I love you, and I'm going to keep praying for you forever. But you refuse to take my help. You need to be in the church. If you need to be medicated, you need to do that. You've got to stop as a professing Christian saying the things that you say. And you have no excuse. The fact that you have a rough life, you have no excuse for continuing to live in a way that dishonors God. And then you tell her, I'm going to be praying for you. If you ever want to come running home to Jesus, I'll be here. But in the meantime, I I have to let you be on your own. Know that somebody loves you, that somebody's praying for you, but i got to leave you alone um, because you're not willing to help yourself. And I've had this conversation over the years, Tanya, many, many times. And and we just have to to, uh, realize it's now an issue between them and the Lord. Tough. People have tough backgrounds. Uh, Paula will tell you her favorite verse in the New Testament is, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. And when you ask somebody in this situation, don't you want the old to be gone? Don't you want the new life that Christ promises, the abundant life? And and they've got to make that decision. It can't be made for them. So that's what I would um I would do if I were in your situation. Regarding sabbaticals, uh, there's nothing in the Bible about it. Um, the only thing regarding work in the Bible is that we're to work six days a week. And I'm, I'm going to be very honest here, uh, without judging anybody, I've never understood the idea of sabbaticals. Um, when when I am called by God to do what I do, uh, I, work is a joy, it's a delight. Now, somebody's going to go on a, uh, they're going to write a book. I feel like God's calling them to do something like that. I, I think that would be okay. But but basically, sabbaticals have become paid vacations for a lot of pastors. And as a pastor, I'm just telling you, I could not be away from my church, um, even two Sundays in a row. In 27 years, I've never missed consecutive Sundays and um, I think maybe I did when I was sick once with, with Easter. I was having some heart issues. I missed, I missed Palm Sunday and Easter. Uh, I was dressed and ready to go both days, but then I started, my heart started racing. I started passing out. Uh, but, but other than that, I've never missed a communion Sunday. And, and me wanting a break is no excuse for not being where God wants me to be on Sunday. So this is my home. This is my job. This is my calling. And uh, I've talked to a lot of pastors who've taken sabbaticals, and you can make it sound spiritual, and you can make it sound like it's something that's really for the best for the church, uh, but honestly, I, I just have never got it. So pastors out there, I'm not judging you. Uh, I'm just saying that um, if you need time off, quit and give somebody else an opportunity. I think that's pretty straightforward. And if it's okay with God, then when you're ready to come back to work, God will open another door for you. So I hope that helps. We've got just enough time for one more call. Let's go to Caesar on line one from San Antonio. Caesar, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Glad to hear that you are back, sir. But um, my question is, I noticed that Paul, in all his epistles and his greetings, he mentions the Father and Jesus Christ, but fails to mention the Holy Spirit. I wanted to get your opinion on why you think in all his epistles he fails to mention the Holy Spirit in his greetings. Uh, thank you for your question in advance. Okay, thank you. Caesar, uh, my, my, my guess, and that's all it is, my guess is that uh, Paul is functioning by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I think his presence in and through Paul is evident. Um, you know, the Holy Spirit, it's, it's like if you're driving a car, I hope this is a good analogy. If you're driving a car, um, you know, you, you, you can you can be grateful for the car. You can say, yeah, I'm driving this car, and boy, it's got a big engine. But you don't thank the gasoline. 
The gasoline is propelling it. It's making it go. And I think that's probably what Paul is dealing with. He's simply assuming that his readers know. Now, his, Paul teaches on the Holy Spirit a lot. Um, and, and I think his, he, he assumes his readers understand. And remember, with the exception of the letter to the Romans, he's writing to people where he planted the churches. He knows the people. And the assumption is clearly that the power of the Holy Spirit uh, is what's propelling the communication and it's what motivates and empowers his ministry. Paul never once tries to take credit for the things that he's doing, but he's doing them for the Father. Uh, He's doing them because Jesus Christ has given him access. And the assumption then is that the power of the Holy Spirit. The one notable exception to that is Romans, of course, the church that he did not uh, uh, found. Um, And um, his teaching on the the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8 in particular, uh, is, I think, the crescendo, the, the, the zenith of our New Testament uh, Romans chapter 8 is a place we ought to live continually, and we can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I think uh, if the Holy Spirit's with Paul, he, he wouldn't say uh, hello or goodbye to him because the Spirit was with him. What he's saying when he's greeting uh, people in the name of the Father and the Son, he's simply saying, uh, uh, in heaven, uh, I'm I'm an ambassador on their behalf empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I hope that makes sense to you, Caesar. Good question. Thank you very, very much. And thank you for saying it's nice to be back. It really is nice to be back. I liked Florida, but this is home. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Remember, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, we've got our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies at 7 o'clock. The weather's cleared out. It ought to be uh, easy to get here without problem. Um, Bible studies are going to be great. Um, Lord willing, I'll be back here tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. I so appreciate you tuning in. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I look forward to being back. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.